Hello everyone and welcome back to 3 Film Feature. This is the show where we take the 3 films from Movie Tales and talk about them in length in one podcast you will form for you to podcast you're listening to. This week we are looking at a couple of diverse films. They actually can't be more separate. We have A Fish Called Wanda, a classic comedy. We have The Sting, a classic sting. And we have one of the earliest films ever made that has influenced most of popular culture and the world, A Trip to the Moon from the year 1902. That's right, this film is 120 years old and is in episode 10 of Three Film Feature. So why don't you take a little bit of a break, baby, and check out these ear full of goodness is. Yeah. <laughs> A Fish Called Wanda. That's right, folks. I have been waiting for the right time to dive in and talk about the pythons forever, just because that is just a topic I could go endlessly on about. I really adore them. I love so much of them. And it's got one of my favorite pythons in this movie, Michael Palin, but that's not the important thing here. I just want to say, kind of before we really get into this film... I really like the Monty Python crew. I think they're all talented, brilliant men who have made some of the best films, some of the best written jokes that just take place in the certain period of time where they are so ahead of itself and so relevant no matter when you watch it. And A Fish Called Wanda, I don't think, maybe doesn't like fit that category perfectly of being timeless or reverent in every aspect, but it's still a damn good film. Now, I said it kind of like at the beginning there, my favorite Python is Michael Palin. I just think he is one of the more subtle of the group, and he just does something completely cool and unique that is completely himself. But John Cleese is also a big star of this film. He wrote it, he directed, he was uncredited as the director. He's a lot, and I, I could probably talk about John Cleese on himself doing other stuff, but I will just say this. He is a lot of personality that sometimes overshadows the other personality in here. And that's okay. I don't talk about a lot of comedy on this channel. If you haven't seen any of these other videos, you might not know that. But comedy to me is kind of a hard topic to get into just because you have to go about it a certain way. You, do you look at like the jokes as the driving force for this or do you look as the narrative? What do you really focus on? And that was kind of hard. But the best thing about this film is that there's actually a really well-developed story in here that would work just as well if it wasn't a comedy. Like this story can play out perfectly in the dramatic setting because it's a bank heist. It's a love story. It's these powerful characters coming together in this crime heist. It's very cool. And it works really well. So let's meet our fish called Wanda. We have Jamie Lee Curtis in here, who with this film is my most talked about actress in movie tales. This is like the fourth time we've talked about her. She is fantastic in this, and she plays the only female pretty much that gets any, you know, scene time, which is fine. It, it, that happens a lot, especially in the 80s, and especially with the crew that's making this movie. She does a pretty good job of handling herself, and I think that's one of the things that I genuinely like about this film was how much she is in command because it could go either way there's certain moments and to me I think these are played up for jokes I don't like the joke that much where they're going for where when you see Otto or you see anybody any of the other male characters speaking a different language like Russian or Italian it's getting her excited I don't think the joke works that well I think it's more just like okay we are showing that we can control this woman just because she's so sexually deprived and she wants these things to come. And that, to me, was just, like, one of my biggest faults of this film. But in every other scene, 
She knows how to play the game. She knows who she's betraying. She knows how to do the heist. She knows how to manipulate the, every man in the world. And I guess that's something very positive about this too, is that every man is portrayed as an equally incompetent person that could be easily manipulated by a beautiful woman. That is not inaccurate. That would happen in the real world. I'm sure it happens all the time. Because I'm pretty sure she kisses every male lead in this movie at least once. And that is kind of weird. But I think just because it's Jamie Lee Curtis, she is perfectly comfortable playing that version of a character. Latrue lies is pretty soon. So obviously she's going to be okay doing some of this stuff. I think it's pretty cool. And I, I do like this role for her. She gets a lot of great moments, a lot of great fun. If you can look past like the overtly sexual stuff that is just inherent with this time period in these characters, she does a pretty good job. She's probably the smartest one of them all. And I think that's kind of cool. I do like John Cleese in this film. He plays Archie Leach, which is a name he got from Cary Grant. And if you guys don't know, Cary Grant's real name is Archie Leach. And he's like, I was a fan. I kind of grew up close to him. So I'm going to try to be Cary Grant here. And it's fun. I do like the idea of playing like the down on your luck guy who is kind of out of his prime, doesn't really get the love he wants. That leads to great comedy. And nobody can do those facial expressions quite like John Cleese, where he's just kind of like overreacting and freaking out at every situation. He's good at like the stoic manic nature of everything where he's calm, perplexed, but breaking down internally. And he does a fantastic job of doing that here. It looks great. It feels great. And this is clearly a script he wanted to make. You know, where it's just like he so perfectly knows the actors he's got working with him where he can just commit to the bit perfectly. And the scene when he's trying to hide Jamie Lee Curtis when his wife and daughter get back, it's brilliant. It's intense where he's just freaking out at every turn. That stuff is hilarious and it works so well. And I love the ending when he just realizes, oh, my marriage is over. Okay, screw everybody. I'm going to take the money and run. That make, that's just perfectly this character where it's like he finally realized he was unhappy when he made, found the thing that made him happy. That's cool. And that works for comedy where you're just setting up this storyline. And I do like where that goes. But like I said too, I don't know why I keep harping on this thing, but Michael Palin, he's just my guy. He is just the subtle, quiet one who gets the job done. He'll play the supporting character in this and he does a great job. So he plays Ken. Ken has a stutter. It is kind of outdated and I think it doesn't work well just because making jokes about the stutter i get we're not supposed to like Otto, and he's kind of like the only one that makes the jokes about it it's kind of annoying in worse hands it could be terrible but i guess michael palin's father had a stutter so he kind of learned a little bit of the mannerisms that go with it so that's interesting and that kind of makes for some great comedy it does lead to some great moments for him i do like the thing where he loves animals and he accidentally kills three dogs that's pretty funny stuff because it's just so subversive of what this genre is doing. I do like that. And he's just, again, he's the quiet one. He's doing the subtle work, doing the character work that not everybody else is going to do. He does it perfectly. And it's so fantastic to see him just get his comeuppance here and get everything working out for him. I adore it. It is so fun. I don't know if I have like a favorite moment when it comes to Ken, just because it's just so intense and cool. I it's just it's just fun and he, he's just quiet like that but when you have the quiet guy and the stoic guy you have to have the one who's over the top and that is where kevin klein comes in now i have never been the biggest kevin klein fan i can't even tell you how many times i've seen a kevin klein film i it's, it's a select a select number i'm sure we'll come back to it on this channel at some point he is on a whole other level here 
This is a guy just like, oh, I get it. You're going to let me go crazy for a minute. Okay, I'm going to bounce around. I'm going to be restless. I'm going to go all around the world, just act crazy, be the American arrogance that is so perfectly contrived for this story. It's great. I just love like the weird little theme of just like America is better than England and Britain and all that stuff. And he's just trying to show that and just, it's so cool. It is such a great performance. And he won the Oscar for it, which is amazing because... How does this performance win the Oscar? I think it's a fantastic performance, but it is so against the tropes of what the Oscars do. It's insane to me. But it's so fantastic. He does one of my favorite line deliveries of all time. I honestly love this, and I think about it almost every other day, where he just looks at Jamie Lee Curtis. He's just like, do apes read philosophy? I adore that line. I don't know why that's the one that sticks with me. It is just funny, and she's just like, yes, they just don't understand it, which is just so perfect, because he wants to be seen as the smart guy, but doesn't understand anything about what he's talking about, and that is perfect for his character, where he'll just overreact and oversimplify every situation. It's insane. I guess he actually wanted to eat real fish when he was making this, but they're like, you're not eating fish, dude. You're not going to have fish, and that's a great, I love that scene there's just so much like of those like intensity scenes that I just adore like when you see John Cleese actually like eating the necklace like that would suck to actually have to like keep that in your mouth for that scene that would be weird and that's creepy but like the scene where you see Michael Palin is tied up and you see that Otto comes in and he's shoving like the fries or the chips I should say into Ken's nostrils and then the pear into his mouth I couldn't even imagine having to do that even as an actor like that is just I'd hate to have to experience that because that's a lot of shit going on you and going in you. I don't like it. That sounds very weird and gross. and I, It's not for me. I do like the end, though, when Otto kind of gets ran over with, like, the cement roller. That is very funny. And our characters escape in classic fashion and just head on a plane and get out of there. And you know what else I noticed this time watching it for this video? Stephen Fry's in here. I have never noticed that before, but he's at the airport in that scene. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. What a really nice, just small thing. Is that his first, like, major studio role? I'm not too familiar with Stephen Fry's work, but that's just, like, a small little cameo for him. That's kind of fun. I do like that. This film is very interesting. I think the storyline is great. The heist stuff is great. The jokes all work surprisingly well. There's some that are outdated, some that I don't think hold up in the slightest, but... You have four incredible performers that are leading this, playing into their own strengths, the confident, the crazy, the restless, the stoic. It is all working perfectly to give you such an incredibly nuanced and powerful performance that it's just genuinely surprising it's working the way it does. It's a cool film. It does hold up a little bit. There's certain moments where if you are a modern audience, you'd be like, oh, this is a weird choice. But there's also some great Python stuff in there. Just some great stuff with Jamie Lee being the smartest person in the room and just seeing like the way these guys react to everything in these manic, intense ways. It's very impressive because these are professionals at what they do and comedy's their wheelhouse. I do think it works really well. This film's surprisingly good. And I'm surprised I liked it as much as I did, considering I don't think all of it holds up. That's kind of impressive to say, but hey, that's an 80s film. It's going to have those weird moments, but it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Movie Tales. And in this episode, for the first time on this series, we're diving into something I am genuinely impressed. We're getting to so early in this, in this series because, I, I mean... It's Redford and Newman. When were we going to do this? I knew it was coming at some point. You cannot do these two. You cannot do a show about movies without talking about these two. 
I didn't know when I was going to do it. And I was like, is it going to be Butch and Sundance? It has to be Butch and Sundance. But the other day on TCM, they were running all these films. The Sting came up, and I'm like, let's watch The Sting. So I watched The Sting again, and it's good. <laughs> it's not my favorite of the bunch. I still like Butch and Sundance more, but it's just good to see these guys in their prime doing some cool stuff. So I do want to talk a little bit about each of them because they are very cool and just awesome guys. Paul Newman's just the coolest. Like when you look at like one of the generational actors who will inspire everyone, it's Paul Newman because he just had that vintage swagger and cool that just exuded from his body. The baby blue eyes, the right energy. He could do no wrong by the eyes of the public and he hasn't done any wrong in any of his films. Just the coolest guy, the coolest vibe who just does everything right and is just such a fun, pleasant guy to see on screen. And then you get to Redford, who is the other kind of cool guy. It just sounds a little more mischievous and young, full of like this energy and pop. And I was looking at Redford. I'm like, who is the next Redford that we've seen in acting? It was probably Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt became that energy of what Redford exuded. And I'm just like, that is such a genuinely like certain. That's just, that's just such a certain identity for an actor that hardly anybody else has presented that in the modern era. They're both great guys, and when they're working together, you get some great stuff. So the Sting, this is a big operation to take down some asshole, <laughs> and that's what this is. If you've never seen the Sting before, I'm going to pitch it to you right now in the simplest way possible. Bunch of old white dudes make fun of another old white dude because he's bad at reading a room. That's all this is. So we got Redford at the age of 37 playing a young man, which is one of my favorite things about this film is that everybody calls him a young man or boy or kid when he's about still around the age of 40. Well, he kind of like does this bad con men thing and suddenly he's like thrust into this otherworldly working with Paul Newman and they have to kind of like take down this mobster political guy who is kind of like, you know, hit their friend. They killed their friend. So now they're like, we're going to pull a big operation to take this guy down. And that's the thing about this movie that I just adore. It's like the whole movie is just this one operation it is just a bunch of dudes planning a, a job a big job so precisely that nothing about it goes wrong they fake every single aspect of this film and it's just a pantsless one guy and that, that is just incredible to me that we can actually do that and have it in a cohesive story because it's so dumb if this was in the wrong hands and i'm sure anybody else who, who's seen this film would be like i could make this if this film is in the wrong hands it is the slowest and most methodical thing you are ever gonna see because it does not do anything you think there's gonna be some big epic scene no there's a couple of scenes where redford's running around being chased by like some fbi agent or some you know lieutenant snyder that's it that's like the only action in this thing and then the rest of it's just hey here's a bunch of old white dudes in a room building a like a, a fake racing betting spot i'm like this is insane this is so weird why is this working it's just so dumb it's just a bunch of dudes pretending to be something they're not and then they actually win and then like it does the most insane thing for a film like this and this is one of the things like in the modern era you could never get away with like not having your villain realize they've been duped by these guys the villain at the end of this the villain just kind of like gets like thrown away by snyder that's it. Like, they, there's, like, no resolution to the actual, like, oh, he killed their friend. No, he's just, like, pulled out of there because we took all his money. It's insanely weird. It's such a weird story. And you know what? It kind of works well for what this entire series was presenting itself to be. I just thought that was so crazy and different. So, yeah, we got Robert Shaw in here in one of his earlier roles because, sadly, he would pass away a couple years later. 
he is incredible. Just playing like this certain type of guy who is just an ass who is just hated by everyone, but just so powerful in the room he walks into. Everybody is waiting for him to react. And that's cool because that's kind of the energy I'm sure he gives off in real life when people met him, just like this commanding presence, this guy who could do everything and everyone's going to watch what he does because that's the energy he exudes. And he is just gone through the ringer in this at every single moment. The moment he meets all these characters when we're on the train, we have the card game, he gets the heist pulled off, then he starts placing bets on the horses, then he gets chased down by the FBI, and everybody's just like a part of this. I'm like, this guy must be a big dick, because the level of commitment you go into pantsing somebody like this, you do not see anymore. We do not make films like this anymore, where it's just a bunch of grown dudes like pranking a guy. That's just what vloggers do now. These guys are like the OG vloggers. And there's just so many like interesting scenes in here that could be presented as just like this is a creative way to work around not having the budget but it's pretty good like there's this idea being that we have to talk to a guy at western union so we pretend we're painters we break into the building have them come in the side door then we leave without people realizing we were in there for a hot minute it's smart i'm like yeah you probably just used to western union to do that it's so weird such a weird thing and they just like buy lots and they hire these people to do this stuff it does that thing that a lot of modern films try to do as well, where it's like there's already like an underground circuit with all these people connected to like the big bosses and like, hey, you just show up, pretend you're placing bets on a horse. Just could you just imagine actually doing something like that and you're not Mr. Beast or something like that's the level of commitment that this like these guys have to this stuff. It is insane. All going into this, like making this one guy look bad. It's so weird. Like I said, Redford's playing the youngest old guy or the oldest young guy you've ever seen before because, again, everyone, he's 37, everyone's calling him kid. He's doing really good. He's just presenting this perfect swagger. I think he won the Oscar for this or he was nominated for this. It's a great performance because he's just slowly figuring out, oh, this life is probably going to consume me and do, do me wrong somehow. It's really great to see that. He just looks kind of silly in like the big suits and the silly hats. He's supposed to be kind of out of place there, and it works well. Then you got Paul Newman. And look, we could do every Paul Newman movie out there, and I'm sure we'll get to it eventually. But my goodness, is this man just confident every time he walks in the room? Like I think one of the best bits of his entire career, and maybe I shouldn't say entire career, when he walks into like the poker room when they're actually playing the game of poker and he's just pretending he's kind of drunk, he's loud and obnoxious, just fooling everybody in the room, it is perfect tension and perfect acting. He is just so good at that confidence. And I love that the two of them just walk away at the end without actually getting any of the money they stole. They're like, yeah, we just wanted to avenge our friend in a way. It's really cool. And it's it's, a, it's just such a cool film, even though it's so ridiculous. Like, if you were to do this today, everybody involved would be a loser because who would spend this much time just to get the money from one guy? You couldn't do it today. You can't like rent two lots, build these fake sets, have all these people come and put on stupid suits and pretend they're listening to the horse races because it's just ridiculous. It just makes no sense. And sometimes it's just a really silly thing. I cannot believe it. Like that's the entirety of this film. It's two hours long. And the entirety is like, oh, we're setting up the sting. We build the sting. We pull it off. There's like, it just goes exactly how it should. The fake shootout at the end fools him. That's pretty brilliant. You also see that there's like this woman working for Snyder or something who is potentially falling in love with our man here, Jake Hooker. And it's like, well, are they going to have a connection? But no, she tries to kill him. And that's the other thing I really like about this. The blood is so good. It is just so 
fake looking and and it's i love that because it's that's just the 70s that's just we're kind of slowly moving into more like you know graphic and just dark ideas on our film we can't get there yet so the blood's gonna just look ketchupy and just silly and it's gonna have like a small bullet wound in her head and you're just gonna see like a little bit of blood on her head or when somebody gets shot you're just gonna see like a little bit of a scar of blood on it it's so fun like that is just such a silly concept to explore that actually works for this story that actually makes sense for it I, I'm just super impressed that this film was just so dumb and it works so well. It's just <laughs> it's just watching grown men prank a dude. It's so ridiculous and they get a lot of money from him, like $500,000 and then, then more of it because he places a four to one bet on it. And I'm like, what the hell, dude? This is so insane. It's just such an intricate prank, and that's all this is. And then you look at stuff that came out before, like Robin in the Seven Hoods, where it's just like, hey, we're going to help these people out, and blah, blah, blah. That is done poorly. And it's very similar to this, but this one's just smarter and more brilliant. They even fake an FBI agent, which I'm like, I knew it was going to be fake because they already said, like, earlier on, Snyder's on his tail. We have to find a way to do that. It's so weird. But it works so well, and something about that is just exactly the 70s like this is like i think one of the last kind of like studio films that's slowly pushing its way into like that modern era where suddenly we're stopping with like our you know just like the basic studio system now we're getting real this is kind of like the last effort of redford and newman in that era because everything they do after this is kind of in that pseudo independent style and that's kind of cool to see I cannot believe this thing was nominated for 10 Oscars and won seven of them because it's just unbelievably silly and weird and just goes to show you that, yeah, films back then, you could really just make something like this and your audience loved it. There's a lot of cool twists and I do think that's kind of cool. It does go to some interesting areas where people are betraying people. Everything's a ruse. You think they're hating each other. They're actually pranking everybody all to get Robert Shaw pissed off and lose his money. That's how the movie ends. That's kind of brilliant. It's just an ending. There's no resolution. They pulled off the sting. It worked. They can go on with their lives as, you know, a young man in his 40s and an old man in his 50s. <laughs> oh, boy. Just perfectly those two actors and that generation. I think it's very fun. I think this film is unique. Is it as good as Butch and Sundance? I don't think so. But the chemistry is still there between the two. And they're building an expansive world with a bunch of old dudes pranking one guy. It is super silly and super weird. And I do like this thing for that reason. There's literally never going to be a movie like it again. Because it's dumb. But it works because of how dumb it is. <laughs> Well, folks, when we talk about this episode of Galactic Tales, I am just as shocked as you are that this is the film we're doing. I did not have the time to watch a feature-length film, but I figured I gotta do another video on these because they're fun. Let's go back to the year 1902, 120 years ago. Think about that, 120 years ago, and talk about George Millier's film, A Trip to the Moon. I don't know how to talk about this film, really, because it's not a film. It's a, it's a short feature that's 14 minutes long, and it probably has inspired more content and stories than half of the stuff we've talked about on this list. It's a science fiction feature. It is so important to the history of cinema. Just the way he made these backgrounds and these dissolves, it's unique to itself in a way we have literally never seen before. And that's impressive. I will talk about Millier a little bit here. Imagine you are like an old man. I say old man. Imagine you're like in your 30s and 40s and you see like this new technology. Here's this train that's on like nothing and it's like coming towards you. You're like, what the hell is that? 
I like that. I want to play with that. But you don't want to like document real life. You want to be like, you can use this to make magic because this guy's an illusionist. So he's going to take this technology. We're capturing a moving train. And he's going to be like, watch me make some cool illusions out of this. And then he just creates like a bunch of short films, literally like hundreds of these short films, just in this idea of like, hey, look at this stuff we can do. I understand how to use this technology. I'm going to dissolve certain things. I'm going to make backgrounds move. I'm going to make this really interesting art piece and use it using my love of illusion. And I'm like, this is impressive. Even at the time, there's so much stuff about what he does on film and with this idea of film that we emulate today. We probably don't have half of the modern ideas of stories or illusions or tricks on film without this man being like, I can take this technology and make it special. And that's what he did. Just so impressive to see. And A Trip to the Moon, probably his most iconic film that he worked on, there's not much I can say about it. Like, it has been restored and recolored and remastered a thousand times over. It's still going to look a certain way. It's unique. And I think that's very impressive. Like, there's just something about capturing science fiction that I adore. And when you're doing that so early on and making it unique into itself then, it's really impressive. And it's doing something very spectacular. So... I'll go over what kind of happens in the film. It's 14 minutes long, for those of you who haven't seen it. I'm sure you can find an actual full-length clip of it on YouTube or something. Basically, a bunch of these old Willy Wonka-looking dudes are talking about going to the moon. Remember, this is before, like, the space race. So we didn't know how to get there. We didn't really know, like, what's going on in space. So these guys are like, we can get there through a big cannon. So they build this device. They're going to shoot themselves into a cannon. They land on the moon. And they get there and they just sleep outside and they go down into the crevices of the moon. They're attacked by aliens and these aliens are weird. And then they come back to Earth because they just tip off the moon and they get attacked by an alien on Earth. And then they kill the alien and then they make a monument to their craziness. That's all it is. Just, just imagine though. Everything you love about film today comes from this. The idea of aliens on film the idea of science fiction, the idea of like a larger than life universe, just the literally the idea of using these painted backdrops of dissolving into a different scene of using music to cue up this big angelic theme. It all stems from this little film. And it's so cool to see that the most iconic shot, probably I would say, well, I'm not going to say of all time because it's probably not, but I want to say to anybody who is a film historian, one of the most iconic shots is the rocket crashing into the eye of the moon because it's awesome. What a great effect, the way it just slowly just pops on his head and there's blood dripping down. I'm like, that is cool. That is beautiful. And you look at this today, it's really impressive that you could make that back then because there's so much of this, these beautiful backdrops that are moving and static. And that probably comes back to like the illusionist thing where you're seeing like these moving ideas that you could do on a stage, but now you have technology to capture that in front of you. It's very cool and very interesting to see. I, I mean, from just from today's standpoint, seeing these like really big, ridiculous Dumbledore looking costumes is awkward and dumb, but I don't hate it. I'm fine. If it a bunch of old dudes is jumping into a rocket and going to the moon. Sure. The aliens, I can't pinpoint it. I get Rodian vibes. You know, I get Rodian vibes. I get Land of the Lost vibes. It's interesting. I, I just think there's so much about this film that is important and impactful. And, you know, I know not everyone's going to want to watch it. I get that completely because it's, it's not tedious. It's only 14 minutes, but 
you have to understand what this really did to appreciate it. This guy was a genius. This guy probably like grandfathered the modern idea of film and showed what you can do with it by having these people dress up as the moon and as planets and as stars and just make this really weird piece where we're dissolving two pieces over each other. Does it look great? No, but if you've never seen anything like that before, you're like, wow, this is a giant star human and in front of them is the small person looking up like this is wondrous. So you're just like, that's impressive. That is so brilliant. It's really cool. And I think there's so much to admire about what what Milliers did here because it's just so unique and creative and doing some great stuff and telling a great story that really holds up. It really holds up. Is it kind of silly when the rocket crashes down into the water and there's like, you know, fish, the size of fish in the rocket supposed to represent the human? You're like, yeah, it's silly. But could you imagine being 100, 120 years ago having no idea what the moon actually looks like or what it's going to be. And you see this film and there's an alien and they bring the alien down to them and they, they capture it. That's insane. And that is really impressive. And everything about this film sparks genius. And Millier was great. And I, I mean, we could go further into him. I don't know if I need to. That could be a video in on itself. The guy is a forefather of what makes cinema great. The guy created so many great stuff. He made over 500 films, I do believe. I watched this on TCM and they had like a documentary about his work afterwards. They all thought it was like lost in time because he burned it to protect his image. They like restored a bunch of it. It's just really cool. And if you haven't seen this short film, just watch it. Because every technology and every technique we use today in film comes from his stories and his vision. He's just a kooky guy that made illusions and said, I like this new piece of technology. What if I took that and reimagined Hollywood and made an industry and did something so creative and original? That's impressive. That is something you would never expect to see. And it's amazing that a film that is 120 years old, 120 years old, is actually still poignant and fun and creative. And it's telling a concise story that you understand. I will say this. It is literally hours shorter than Metropolis, but it is way more interesting and a way cooler concept. So please do yourself a favor. Research the history of film and George Melier and watch A Trip to the Moon because it is special and fun and makes for some great stuff. And that is going to do it for this episode of galactic tales now thank you guys so much for watching this video be sure to like and subscribe to the channel as always you can check me out on instagram tiktok and twitter and as always i will catch you in the next one have fun stay safe good luck